are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Evolving. Playful. Intimate. Kirsten Volnes is an electroacoustic composer and pianist from Providence, Rhode Island. She performs with the New York City-based Hotel Elephant and the Providence-based Verdant Vibes, a new music ensemble and concert series she co-founded in 2015. Kirsten collaborates often, creating multimedia performances exploring astrophysics with Meridian Project, writing and performing operas with homeless advocacy group Tenderloin Opera Company, and as an affiliate artist of Boston-based theater company Sleeping Weasel. She also teaches privately and at the University of Rhode Island. Thank you so much for doing this. Good to meet you like this. Yeah, good to meet you too. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about three of your pieces tonight. And I want us to start off with your piece, Murmurations. Okay. And that's for piano, double bass, fixed media, and live electronics. You wrote on your website that this piece was inspired by the shifting clouds of starlings at dusk. Um, I actually, when I was in Houston, I used to watch that flying over the rice uh, medical center all the time it's really hypnotizing i mean how did you take that idea and then transition that into music uh i think a lot of it's about the texture that i'll have a baseline that goes on repetitively and different layers come in and out and the music itself has sort of a mixed meter so it doesn't always feel like it grooves it kind of has a hiccup here and there mm-hmm. and it makes me think of just the different patterns of birds sort of swooping and the way they follow each other, and sometimes different patterns appear within their movement. So a lot of it's just about sort of shifting the feel of the beat and different layers coming in and out and kind of floating on top of this pulsating texture. Where were you in the world that you got to like watch these clouds of birds Actually, regularly? Actually, in Rhode Island where I live, um, mm-hmm. I just got married this summer, and the beach that we go to a lot um, that's owned by Rhode Island School of the Design, basically they have this giant open field by the water, and a lot of martins fly around there, and occasionally you'll see bigger groups of starlings at night. So um, I remember seeing this in the Midwest at times, but I also have seen it in New England. And... The instrument, the instrumentation kind of takes the shape of almost a jazz trio. You know, you have piano and bass and then the the electronics provide a lot of percussion. So how did uh, how did that idea come about? Um, Well, I was writing the piece for my now husband, Jacob, who plays jazz bass. So the idea was I was writing a piece for us to play together and it's sort of a wedding present. And um, so a lot of the music came out of that. And uh, at the time when I was writing the piece, my father also passed away unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of things that came to mind were things that, you know, music he would have liked, like he was really into the doors and psychedelic rock. So some of those B3 organ lines come from that sort of influence. Um, but I would say overall, it's it's very much a piece written for me <laughs> and my, you know, husband to play together and... Um, you know, it's sort of like a an homage to various other musical influences in my life, too. I've put a couple of quotes in there that I want you to have to try to figure out yourself. Oh, but, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, and all the crazy drum beat also is sort of a throwback to childhood. I definitely liked to listen to lots of Quincy Jones recordings and things where mm-hmm. there was just a lot of crazy synth percussion going on. Um, so some of it's just drawing upon music I really loved as a child um, and taking that as a starting point and also just pulling in all these different influences. And I mean, as your, as your husband is a jazz bassist, I would imagine that all the, all the improvisation like sections are actually improvised. Oh yes, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, how much, how it seems like I've, I listened to, the recording that you sent me and I also found another recording a video on your website so it seems like the piano is following at least some sort of structure oh definitely um I have a chord structure written out that they just play over in the latter part of the piece um and 
Part of it was just that Jacob does that really well. I have a part written out for people if they don't want to have to improvise. Mm. <laughs> so it, there's a safe answer for someone who right. doesn't want to have to do that. Um, but it's definitely an option. And I really like building in some freedom into my notated music, even if it's very strictly, you know, like there is a click track with this piece because it gets kind of hectic and hard to hear where you are <laughs> with all right. these different things happening at once. Um and so even within that regimented sort of structure, I wanted to leave a lot of freedom for uh, responding to different ideas and uh, being able to play expressively within this context of a very structured rhythmic thing. Right, right. I mean, there's so much detail in the fixed media part. And I think mostly because it's an ostinato, it would be kind of easy to ignore it. But each time I've listened to it, I've kind of found these little Easter eggs in the fixed media. Nice. I like fixed media a lot because I can always get the results I'm looking for and it always comes out the same and it doesn't crash right. my computer. <laughs> so <Exactly>. all good <laughs> things. But I did want a little bit of uh, live effect changing on the instruments. So it's mostly just delay and reverb that happens um, with the live electronics. And they just change along the way in various sections to make it more you know, reverberant and wet sounding or more clear. And sometimes the ping pong delay switches up a little bit to change the rhythms. But Actually, what when I was listening to it, it kind of reminded me of um, not the latest couple albums, but on the oh, I can't remember what that album was called, but it was it was a one of the more recent Nine Inch Nails album. They have the he has this ostinato that's basically the entire piece but it's constantly changing <laughs> you know in like timbre or in in um you know messing with the cutoff frequencies and and everything and the, and your fixed media part just kind of reminded me of that it's always doing it's always <laughs> kind of twisting and doing something even though it is you know for the for the most part of when it's in it's it's pretty much an ostinato so yeah. that that was it's really it's it's really interesting to listen to something like that and continually go going back to it and just like oh i didn't catch that the first time oh it's changing like this now so it's pretty cool thank you i definitely take that as a compliment because i love the nine inch nails and <laughs> i wouldn't <Good. laughs> do any electronic music if they didn't exist probably so, yeah, yeah yeah definitely uh, so we're going to listen to this right now and uh who uh, is it you and your husband playing it on this recording it is indeed as Verdant Vibes, which is our new music ensemble here in Providence. Awesome. So this is Murmurations.
Let's let's talk about Verdant Vibes. I mean, how how did that uh, come about? That's been around for the last few years, right? Uh, this will be our fourth season coming up, and we it actually came about because I had moved to Providence after graduate school, so Jacob, my husband, could go to Brown for graduate school. He does the like multimedia composition, and so. I had nothing to do when I got here, didn't really have a job, <laughs> tried to teach some piano lessons to survive, and um, I couldn't really find gigs as a composer, and I didn't really hear much going on. So I ended up doing a lot of things in Boston and in New York and Hartford even. I just met people there, and I think it helps to have a good music school around. Yeah. Um, and there are lots of great artists in Providence, but we just don't have that conservatory here. So it makes it a little bit more difficult to find people who read music or oboe players or that sort of thing. So um, when two teaching jobs almost lured us away from Providence forever, <laughs> uh, <laughs> neither one of them ended up working out. But um, that was when we decided we're going to be in Providence for a while we're just going to have to do something ourselves. So with a lot of support, actually, from the State Arts Council, we were able to just kick off a concert, like three season, or sorry, three concert season of music. Most of it, the first season was by Rhode Island composers, because I really wanted mm -hmm. to give peop other people opportunities that I think didn't have them before, yeah. at least at home, you know. And so um, we've just, we have a free call for scores every summer, and we don't want to charge a fee because we want it to be completely open. Like we can write grants and do fundraising to cover all the expenses to do these things. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really important to us to promote a nice variety of music. Like it's not just one style of music. We change the ensemble. So it could be a solo piece or like nine people on stage at once with dancers and video and all sorts of things. So we're really flexible. And I think one of our strengths is that we really try to build community and include lots of different people. We have guest artists who are more singer-songwriters sometimes come and play mm -hmm. as guest artists. And so the whole idea is just to bring together different communities that have a lot in common but wouldn't necessarily all end up at the same show <laughs> at the same time. Right, yeah. And um, I think it's been really great. I feel like I we've gotten to know a lot of community partners who are supportive and we've worked with a lot of students, whether they're high school students or even younger um, like eight to 12 year olds in local schools and things. So it's been great to be able to connect on all levels with the local community and the broader new music community. I just think that's so important because, you know, it, the more people I talk to via this podcast that, you know, are doing something in the new music community, wherever they are, it's just so good to see that, you know, New York, Chicago, they aren't the only places, you mm -hmm. know, and like this, if we, you know, I'm not, I'm not under the delusion that like we're going to change the world or anything, but <laughs> if we want to have some sort of impact on our, you know, within our own community to the point where, you know, if, if someone asks you, oh, what do you do? And you say, I'm a composer. They don't look at you like you have lobsters crawling out of your ears or something, you know? <laughs> yep. So like that, that's what absolutely needs to be done. So that, that, that's great that you guys are doing that. Um, let's move on to your piece, River Rising. Okay. And this is for violin, fixed media and live electronics. And you said in the notes that uh, you're taking some sounds from, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, the Saran? Yep, Siran is the name of an accordion owned by Mary Kuyumjian, who's also a composer. Okay. Um, I ended up playing a piece of hers that uh, I had to learn how to play her accordion for a little bit of it. And uh, so I had it at my house for quite a while. <laughs> and that was the perfect thing to just improvise on into a microphone. And so all of the source recordings for the electronic part are from this accordion. Awesome. And what what kind of manipulations are you doing to those source recordings? Because it seems like they're, I mean, maybe maybe I'm not remembering it right, but it seemed like there were only a few spots that it was really evident that that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, it starts with a breathy section, so that's just the air valve moving mm -hmm. in and out. And um, I think a lot of it is just that I was able to 
EQ things in such a way as to sometimes hide the timbre of the accordion or it was lots of different layers at once so you feel like this overall sound of an organ happening but it's not Mm. clear that it's necessarily an accordion versus something else yeah um and i don't know like a lot of processing it's been a while since i wrote that piece (laughs) but it's (laughs) um actually the funny thing too is that i had written that entire tape part and then had to figure out what to do with the violin at the end. <laughs> uh, I don't usually work like that. Usually it's a little yeah. bit of each as I go. Um, and not this case. It was this dilemma where I was like, okay, I better write a good violin part now. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you said with your last piece that, you know, you were writing it for your husband, but you also, you know, while it happened, your father passed away. And then this piece is another piece that's kind of about loss. But um, particularly at the hands of something much bigger than like the human scale, you know, some like natural disaster and stuff like that. So what what about that was inspiring and how and connecting to this piece in particular? Uh, I think in general, the texture of the piece, the way it's laid out is that you have this big washy electronic part and then the violin it almost surfs the surf, you know, rides the surface of the piece at times. Mm-hmm. And so in that regard, I was thinking of it as an actual wave of sound. So sometimes, um, and it was all, it was inspired actually for, from seeing footage of the tsunami hit Japan a number oh, of years ago. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just felt really the shock that I felt after seeing that and not being able to really process what I had just witnessed. Yeah. Um, without having known it was coming on the television kind of thing really shook me. And so um, I just, I don't know, is a means of being able to, in that piece in particular, I think it's very meditative and you can sort of zone out into what's happening with the texture and everything and listen to different layers. Um, But it's definitely about the violin sort of getting swallowed up by the tape part at times and then fighting its way back out. Yeah, that's that's something I was going to actually ask about. I mean, it seems like one of the ways you do that is just kind of space for the violin. You putting the putting the violin into different spaces, whether they be reverb or or whatever, but also playing with the relative space between the the two elements you have. And it kind of like even in your first piece and I think um yeah, the, the the first piece we listened to, it seems like space is kind of a something that's important to you. Definitely. Um, like an a- active compositional parameter. Oh, certainly. Um, whether it's just panning, like where is that sound coming from or how close and threatening is it? <laughs> All of these factors, <laughs> I think, um, are really powerful in making music mean something or bring ideas to people's head or make them feel some way. So uh, just getting some sort of response, I think that I, I mean, part of it's just giving the solo line room to do what it's doing and be important. Um, Mm -hmm. But also I think that it, I guess, I don't know. I do treat it as just another, as important as every other element, whether it's pitch or rhythm or, Mm-hmm. the timbre processing that's happening i mean getting getting back to the topic that you're that you're dealing with you know this how how big nature can can be when you when you consider yourself you know and, th- and that's not actually something that i keep coming back to um in in some of my pieces is just like that I guess it's that moment as a human being that you realize that there's no way. There's just no there's no way I can get out of this. I am so small compared to this. I you and you resign to your fate. And in that moment, I think there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. I mean, was it, it it was see seeing the footage and then kind of almost putting yourself there that kind of got you in that headspace to write this? Yeah, definitely. And I think at that time also Colorado was flooding. They had lots of rain. Mm -hmm. And so uh, just that idea that things are very fragile and can slip away very easily at any moment (laughs) um, was very much in the forefront of my mind. So it's, you know, like a lament, I guess. So it's a good excuse to 
have beautiful singing violin lines. <laughs> well, actually, that's that was one thing I was going to say. The violin part does seem quite singable in a lot of in a lot of ways. Is that kind of how you how you wrote the violin part? Was yeah, just through singing. Um, a lot of singing. I obviously don't have the range of a violin, <laughs> so <Sure>. sometimes <laughs> it wasn't quite right, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, like I was saying, I had written the tape part already and had to figure out something with the violin. So it was sort of a, my own improvisation yeah. of the violin part. And I think when I actually finished the score, I put in the original edition that if you wanted to just improvise over the tape part for the entire piece, go for it. <laughs> and then I decided, <laughs> oh, wow, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that seems like... But I, think, I mean, that's some freedom right there. Yeah. But I also like to have that kind of relationship with performers where they can have their own, um, you know, input into what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the idea of having a piece where you can do whatever you want with it, <laughs> it's kind of interesting to me, too. Has anyone taken you up on that? Nope. Nope. Never. They always play what's written. <laughs> 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 yep. Well, uh, who's the performer that we're going to hear on this recording? This is Lilith Hartunian, and she's a violinist from Boston who's played a number of my pieces. And I actually wrote another violin piece for her that's a looping piece called Alone Together. Um, So we've had a great relationship and gone around to lots of different little electronic music festivals and things. Um, And so it's been really fun working with her. She sounds incredible. I look forward to hearing this. <laughs> so this is River Rising.
Um, your last piece is called Sin Sin Sin. And this is for oboe, bassoon, horn, violin, and contrabass. How did that ensemble come about? It was a random commission I was asked to write um, okay. last fall. Uh, this group called Experiential Orchestra. I think they're based out of D.C., I think they're the ones that had the Rite of Spring dance party, if you remember that at all. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, they were having pieces written to go along with these paintings by William Woodward of the Seven Deadly Sins, and they were on exhibition at the Art Museum at American University, uh, and the painter actually was there at the premiere, which was really cool to be able to talk to the artist and have that interaction. But yeah. Uh, there were a number of composers that were asked to write just, I wrote three short movements based on three of the seven paintings. And um, so they would just light up one of the paintings on the wall and play the movement <laughs> and then <laughs> go on to the next one. It was very neat to be able to be in the same room with the painting while they were playing it. But uh, the first movement is called Wrath. And in this painting, there is, and actually in all of the paintings, there are humans that are sort of dressed in circus clothes or like vaudevilles, sort of early 1900s era um, entertainment sort of clothes. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it otherwise. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and the painting style at times is kind of fuzzy and almost, you know, it's not really impressionistic, but it definitely has a lot of texture to it. And um, so each of these sins has a picture to go along with it and it's framed they're all framed the same way with these two columns on the outside and a title at the bottom um and so in the wrath painting you have this little girl who is screaming and jumping off of a rocking horse <laughs> and toys are flying and in all these paintings you also have apes or monkeys around kind of mirroring the same thing that the humans are doing whatever the sin uh -huh. is and so um I don't want to give away too much, but there are fun little structural details that I put into place to show that mirror image of like the human beings reaction and the apes reaction. They're mostly chimpanzees. But in that first movement, there's um, I just picked out little details in the painting that inspired various musical ideas. So it starts out with this bassoon kind of helicopter effect. It's very percussive mm -hmm. and rhythmic and... Um, so that was inspired by the little string of bullets over one of the shoulders of one of the monkeys at the bottom of the picture. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, I'm looking yeah. at it right now. Um, yeah. And at some point you get to the part where she screams and jumps off of the thing. But this idea that rage and like wrath is something that slowly builds and then finally there's a breaking point. I definitely wanted to exaggerate that idea. Um, but... They're just fun little miniatures, basically. They last mm -hmm. maybe two to three minutes each and are character pieces that are literally inspired by these paintings. So the second movement is called Pride. And to sort of exemplify that idea, um, I let the players go in and out of tune as much as they want. So they get to play <laughs> however they want to play their note <laughs> okay. on the long sustained pitches. So you'll hear it sort of go out of tune and get wavery and weird at times. Um, that's intentional. And then in the, and it's a lot about staring at yourself in the mirror, that second movement. It's very slow and um, mm -hmm. regal, so to speak. And in that painting, there are people sitting on top of circus balloons, kind of looking down at everyone. Um, it's like a clown and yeah. almost looks like some sort of politician or dictator yep. or something like that. I haven't figured then, out who that is yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the final movement is called Gluttony. And it is also very rhythmic and kind of fast. It's supposed to be fast, but they start a little slower because the idea here is that you can repeat the movement as many times as you want as long as it keeps mm -hmm. going faster and faster. Um, and so that was how I just approached this idea of never having enough. <laughs> right, right, right. It's it's interesting looking at these because it almost looks, you know, with the with the two columns on either side and the, you know, you have the kind of title of the um title of the painting down below. It's it almost seemed to me that it was like 
we have that you know these are in some sort of museum space and we the human race has killed itself off or something and these are kind of like <laughs> relics of you know it alt there it's ultimate doom you know and it's like the animals who are kind of the the new anthropologists mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're now repeating what they're seeing and will ultimately kill themselves off as well or something you know yeah. something like that it just it just had that kind of like th- this is this is a scene within a scene kind of thing definitely and the rest of the series is really interesting too but <laughs> those were the three that i took a look at and um this this piece also exists for orchestra yep. as well i orchestrated it this spring for um I think it's winds and threes, that kind of size orchestra. And it was performed by the Rhode Island College Symphony because they're the ones who commissioned it. Um, and hopefully we'll hear it again sometime. <laughs> 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 you know how orchestra pieces go. You yeah, get to hear yeah, them once and then maybe another time, but you never know. <laughs> I mean, when you're going through that process of taking what's essentially a five-part ensemble and then exploding it out for orchestra i mean how much new material went into that i think a lot of it was that um crunchy chords got crunchier (laughs) Mm, it was able to add more you know density i guess to the sound in places Mm -hmm. and then a lot of it just has to do with color changes um right you know like suddenly i get to use a flute (laughs) or something right (laughs) in the beginning of the um wrath movement you said you had the helicopter effect but also it's aren't you doing some percussive effects on the on the double bass yeah so that could like switch into an actual percussion role and i mean the helicopter effect on bassoon isn't that loud so yep yeah so they ended i think i ended up having them just play the low c Mm, okay. because it wasn't transferring enough <laughs> yeah through yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I actually kept it with the basses hitting their instruments and slapping oh, okay. strings so mm-hmm. partially to make them learn how to do something new <laughs> 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 you know just like expose these college students to something they haven't had to do before um, maybe yeah and I think a lot of it is just being able to add interesting little fills here and there yeah. Uh, the main structure is still the same, but it just gets to be bigger <laughs> than it was before. So we'll go ahead and listen to it. And this is the original version we're going to hear in the quintet. And it, it is the experiential orchestra. Correct. So we're going to hear Sin Sin Sin, the movements being Wrath, Pride, and Gluttony. Thank you. 
Last question that I always ask all the um, all the composers and artists who come on the podcast, and that is, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your entire life? Well, I asked my parents for piano lessons when I was maybe three or four. I was very much into playing the piano, even as a small little kid, just playing around with it. Um, and then, so I guess I always did music growing up in public school and played piano and played saxophone in the high school band and some percussion. Um, so it was always clear to me that that would be an important part of my life. I never questioned mm -hmm. going into music, but I did not know that I would be a composer until I was, uh, I guess, junior in college. I took this orchestration class with Judith Lang Zamont. So mm -hmm. I always had a strong female role model from the beginning, so I never thought twice about whether or not I could do this. Um, and she let us write our own pieces for our projects if we wanted to, and that sounded way more interesting than, you know, transcribing <laughs> some Debussy or something. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> so I tried it, and I was hooked. I mean, it was way more fun to make up all these weird music things than to have to practice and hate myself <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> for not yeah. being good enough or something, you know. Um, so... That was a breath of fresh air for me, and I definitely, she invited me to take lessons with her because that was not something that the undergrads did at the University of Minnesota very readily. Um, there weren't really private lessons in composition, so I got lucky there. And the three pieces I ever wrote, I basically sent off to my graduate school applications and somehow magically made it this far. <laughs> so there was a lot of luck involved and um, blind faith, I guess. <laughs> but if you if you would have had to have done something else would you what do you think that would have been i would be a scientist or i would work for national geographic <laughs> doing oh. in, doing pretty much anything <laughs> in a you know that's not evil so that's not evil <laughs> you know they've come around they're doing better these days but. yeah right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome well uh before we go, can you tell people where they can find more of your music or get in touch with you online or anything like that? Uh, my website is kirstenvolness.com, just like my name. And you can find all sorts of recordings on SoundCloud and Vimeo, and they're all linked there. If you want to buy scores, all that stuff is available at my website. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. <laughs>